It's time for another episode of Marketing Pains. The podcast about marketing for window treatment and awning companies. Learn what your colleagues are doing to keep their businesses thriving and growing and what tools you can use to expand your own business. Enjoy the view as window treatment marketing pros owner Will Hankey talks with industry experts digging into their marketing successes, learning how they're attracting more customers and getting you thinking about ways to marketing your own company. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of Marketing Pains. My name is Will Hankey, and I'm excited for my guest today. We've got Frank Henderson, who is the CEO of Henderson Sewing Machine Company. Uh, They're a provider of industrial sewing machines, parts, and automated systems integration of robotics in sewing. So uh, very excited to talk to you today, Frank. Thanks for jumping on today. Thanks, Will. I appreciate the invite. Look forward to uh, sharing together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm very interested in the robotic side, so I know we'll get into a lot more of that. Uh, I'm kind of one of these um, home automation nerds. Uh, you know, you walk in the front door and the lights come on and all these things happen. And uh, so I know that uh, I, I love the, the whole idea of automating things. Well, as we all know, automation and technology has transformed each of our lives. We're all walking around with a handheld computer in our hand. Uh, we're sitting here live streaming uh, over a network uh, that didn't exist only a few years ago. And when I came along, a uh, cell phone was a brick. Uh, so yes. <laughs> not like what we have today and certainly not as powerful. So yes, robotics, automation, and technology are transforming each of our lives daily. Uh, we put men on the moon, uh, but we also sew textile sewn products with technology. Yeah, yeah. And I love the idea of taking something uh, so high tech and putting that into the world of sewing. It doesn't sound like it would be a, a something that would mesh together, but uh, obviously does. Well, the textile industry is a very old industry, as we all know. However, most people don't really understand the complexity behind before you have textile fabrics, you start with opening, blending, carding, spinning, weaving, dyeing, finishing, or knitting, dyeing, finishing, before you ever get to cut and sew. In the front end of that value chain, then it actually what changes what the fabrics actually are, whether it's coated or non-coated. So most people have no idea that you blend the fibers together before you ever make yarn. And then you have that yarn and uh, the amount of twist, size, the complexity, the structure of what it's actually made out of. Is it natural fibers? Is it a blend of uh, synthetic and natural fibers? Uh, all of that drives what the fabrics will be, which is one of the complexities that's actually in, enabled our industry to be a slow adopter, uh, slow to adopt because we deal with flexible goods. And woven goods don't handle the same as knit goods, and they certainly don't handle the same as an unwoven good. Yeah. And uh, a knit good handles differently than a woven good. And the weight of those goods uh, is also a complexity. So each of those are reasons why the textile, especially sewn products, has not adapted technology. It's hard. It's difficult. Uh, it's not easy. And if it were easy, it would have been done 100 years ago. <laughs> right. Uh, but it is not. But if you look at the front end of the value chain, the opening, blending, carding, spinning, weaving, dyeing, finishing, and dyeing, finishing, 
much of that was automated in the 70s uh, before we ever saw insourcing, outsourcing, and globalization uh, because the rear of that value chain needed a lot more people than the front end of that did because yeah. automation changed uh, the complexity of how fabric was actually made and manufactured so that it could be automated uh, actually easier than picking up individual pieces of fabrics in a complexity of the weight, height, uh, the attributes of drape, hand, feel, all of those things drive what we can do from an automation standpoint uh, with flexible goods. Or I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, we're going to get into a lot of this stuff today. Uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your company? Give me the, the two-minute elevator pitch uh, of, of what you guys do. Well, first of all, I'm a third generation. My grandfather and father both preceded me. I'm a CEO of Henderson Sewing. We have 30 staff members. We bridge across about 80 different market sectors of textile sewn products. Uh, so for me, it's a lifelong journey. I came up as a small kid talking about skip stitches, breaking thread, and how do we make this product more efficiently. Uh, and today we can do far more than we ever did in the past. Uh, our staff, both sells industrial sewing machines, sells parts and supplies for the industrial sewing space, as well as develop our own design, develop and manufacture our own automated uh, systems. Many of those systems are hard automation. Others are flexible or uh, semi-automated systems. The whole idea is those systems, automation, robotics, or ever how we handle it, are basically material handling functions of the manufacturer. So what is a robot? A robot is a material handling device, but so is hard automation. And that hard automation may do one specific job and do that well by handling fabrics, introducing it into the sewing machine. It's not changing the sewing. The sewing machine itself has stayed much the same for the last 150 years. Yeah. Only in the last few years has a sewing machine itself actually been changed some. That did not change uh, the federal stitch types or what it actually does to form a stitch, whether it be a lock stitch or a chain stitch or a cover stitch or an overlock or whatever the stitch type might be. All we're doing is how do we introduce fabrics to that sewing machine and into that sewing plane? And that's what automation is all really all about. So that we might be able to take our skilled labor, and it is skilled. A sewing operator is a highly skilled uh, person. It is not uh, a low end of the value chain. It is a person with a tremendous skill sets because of the hand-eye coordination and because of the dexterity that that operator possesses, uh, it has not been replicated many, many times throughout the world uh, with systems. And that's what we're able to do today because systems and technology have continued to develop more and more as time has gone along. Yeah. Systems never, uh, never get done, do they, when it comes to business? Uh, you're always upgrading and improving them, it seems like. That's correct. And, and yeah. that's what design, creativity, and innovation is all about. Yeah. And so that's what's made America great for hundreds of years, uh, this nation of ours, is people being able to use their own minds, uh, their own talent, their own intellect to actually innovate and create. And that innovative, creative cycle is what 
our staff at R&D and others that work at Henderson uh, have done all of our lives. Yeah. So out of the 30 members that we have, 17 of those have, we've all worked together for more than 30 years. Oh, so wow. a very long history. Uh, sure, we bring young folks in uh, and it takes time to make them understand uh, this textile industry that we all deal with. Uh, and that's a joy uh, and a great responsibility in order to pass that knowledge and expertise down through the generations. Yeah. You mentioned that you kind of grew up, uh, your grandfather and your father was in the industry too. So have you been outside of the industry or was this always kind of what you had uh, uh, as your as your future? <clears throat> Actually, as I grew up, I always worked within the industry, even as a young, uh, young man traveling with my father and grandfather throughout. I then left and moved to Auburn University to go to textile engineering school oh. where I learned the foundations of active fabric. I left there and moved to South Georgia and actually worked in polypropylene, which was chemical byproduct petroleum, very young at that point in time in the very, very early 70s. Uh, very little known about polypropylene. When I went to work with the firm, there was about three uses. When I left three and a half years later, there were about 200 uses. Oh, wow. So, Fast forward, if you will, about another 40 years passed, and then by we had something called the COVID pandemic. Okay. So the COVID pandemic brought on PPE, and what is PPE made from? Polypropylene. Oh. And spun blown, melt bone, spun blown to actually form a barrier, if you will, to keep the virus away from our bodies. So uh, because I had had that knowledge very, very early in, in my life, I was able to bring some people around to make them understand uh, that you started by extruding uh, what actually spun blown and melt blown were and how that actually worked and what actually transpired to actually make non-woven goods and then how we could take those non-woven goods and actually ultrasonically cut and seal them to form a face mask or a gown or other PPE products that we needed at that particular point in time. Oh, I love it. And you you were way ahead of the curve on that one. Uh, well, just simply because I had been there before, yeah, uh, many, many years before, uh, and many people in our industry did not because uh, the USA imported about 98% of all the PPE products. And at that point in time, when COVID actually started, there were very little non-woven fabrics available to actually make PPE from. Therefore, you had a lot of people who actually sewed masks and things together out of only fabric, yep. which was almost no barrier, if you will, to protect us from the virus. It was a face covering that kept you from uh, spitting or slobbering all over someone else, but it certainly right. didn't keep the virus from entering your body. Yeah, yeah, definitely makes sense. So um, for uh, for Henderson, um, what, what sets you guys apart I, I think I already know the answer to this. What kind of sets you guys apart from similar businesses? Well, there are other people that sell industrial sewing machines, but there's very few people who distribute 560 different vendor products throughout the textile industry or, or work in 80 different market sectors from sewing a mechanical heart valve that goes inside your body uh, to actually a tent torpedoing the for awning, military apparel uniform, or the aerospace industry. Uh, or the auto industry. So many different industry sectors yeah. are touched by textile products. 
more than people even know today. We mentioned uh, technology earlier, and wearable technology is something uh, that's actually all around us each day. But yeah. as you came to work this morning, the tires on the car were probably sewn. The interior of that automobile was sewn. The carpeting was, the matting was, but so was uh, many of the things up underneath the hood. And the same thing goes for a carbon fiber wing on an airplane or the interior of that airplane. And the list goes virtually on and on and on. Yeah. So for us, we touch a significant amount of industries and have been very, very fortunate to be able to offer not only just sewing or parts and supplies, but to actually design and develop automated systems and semi-automated systems that can make a difference in our world today so that we can address this workforce development issue that we all have with skilled people being very, very difficult to find today. Uh, and so that we might be able to take labor and make it a smaller component of the total par price of that particular product. Yep. And that's what really automation is doing. It's uh, moving people to different places, maybe, but it is not taking their job. Right. Uh, it may be re replacing repetitive motion manufacturing, what they actually do repetitively over and over and over again today. But we could probably use their head and their thinking and their reactions far more better ways than do just repetitive motion. Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, so our audience uh, for the podcast is mostly uh, window treatment dealers, owners, um, all the way from mom and pops to, you know, companies that are doing several million. Uh, and then the same thing on the awning side, anything related to shading, I think uh, comes into that. So what kind of um, products do you have or what kind of uh, solutions do you guys have for that side, that kind of uh, um, consumer, I guess, on your end? Well, it's a great question. Uh, first of all, I think everybody needs to know and understand that, that automation and technology integration is product specific. What I mean by product specific is you don't utilize the same tools or the same technology uh, to automate this shirt as you would with the uh, uh, shade cloth, with drapes, with right. window coverings, with awnings, those kind of things. Because you're generally dealing with a very, very wide, large uh, piece of product. So some yeah. of that, many times, we can take from roll goods. We start with roll goods. And we determine what can be done at the perimeters because much of that is left and right sewing, if you will, uh, handling uh, very, very large sheets that we might be able to ultrasonically cut, seal, bond, weld uh, is another form of joining fabrics together. Sometimes we uh, sew and seal that so that it doesn't leak. But wide goods, generally we start with roll fabrics. So with a roll of fabric, and then we determine how we might be able to manufacture a product effectively. I'm going to give you uh, not a specific answer to a particular product, but just give you an example of what something might look like. So the bed sheets on the bed that you slept on last night were actually done with four side sewing most likely. So that bed sheet is made in a uh, small, medium, and large, or a twin, queen, king, California king, that kind of thing. So right. what we do in that case is, again, we start with roll goods. 
One machine might be stationary at one end and movable on the other end. So it might be able to do queen, queen, kings, California kings, that kind of thing. So we generally use a left and a right sewing head so that we're actually sewing two sides at one time. The fabric might be sewn uh, for a distance, cut, and then turned at a 90-degree angle so that it might sew the other two sides. We might be able to put a, a bottom banner or a header on it or the tail on it. A similar way, a flag or a banner might also be sewn because it's generally not sewn in the center, but rather sewn on both edge. These can be done with systems that are left and rights, or sometimes we actually take a robot, we sew one side, we turn it, and we sew that all four sides by turning the actual product. Uh, others, we might be able to put binding on. So we might sew down one side with binding, turn it, so that we might be able to sew down the other side of the binding. But that's generally what we have to do. But each and every case of automation technology, we have to look at that product and design and manufacture a product-specific technology that addresses, number one, what does the role good start with? Number two, what are the steps in between to actually manufacture that product? And that could be with window shades. It could be with storm shutters and things like we just saw uh, <clears throat> with the uh, storm that just came on in Florida. There are many, oh, yeah. many window shutters and those kind of things that are actually protective uh, in that space. Uh, they're in the Fort Myers, Naples area. Uh, and many of those homes were protected by those kind of things. Um, I hope that addresses the, the question that you were asking me. Yes. But the most important is automation is product specific. So we have yeah. to look at what we would use to manufacture that product in the most efficient and effective manner. Okay. And I, this is probably a dumb question, but I'm assuming those machines are um, versatile enough to change with some configurations to do a different uh, product. Would that be fair? The answer is correct. And that's generally in ramifications, depending on the uh, width of them. Uh, the whether it's <clears throat> 12 ounce or 16 ounce or 14 three quarter ounce uh, of what the actual goods are. It's very, very yeah. difficult to do something that's very, very, very light, uh, like a trico, that kind of thing, and then turn around and do something that's as heavy as a pair of denim jeans. If you're looking at awnings, if you look at a very, very ultra light shear versus something that is a coated uh, plasticized type material. Um, there are limitations, of course, and we have sure. to address that in between. But within yeah, the same family or groups, yes, that is possible. Yeah, I guess that was my question. You know, if you go from uh, uh, just a, a regular drapery <clears throat> to a blackout draperies, right, which has, you know, a lot thicker, darker uh, type stuff, but same family, I guess it would be fine. That is correct. Yeah. And those are generally the things that we look at. Got That's it. why in most cases, we start with samples. We need to see a sample of exactly what the customer wants. Yep. We need to evaluate that sample, but we also need to understand their manufacturing steps. What are they doing at present? And how do we address that <clears throat> so that we get, number one, 
solution that has a reasonable return on investment dollars and that they also get the productivity and efficiency that they need. How many do we need to produce per day? Okay. Is that one or is that 10,000? Right. Uh, and there's a lot of differences in those numbers. I sure, think. sure. And, uh, you know, if the answer is 10,000, I know that you talk a lot about lights out manufacturing. Uh, is that something that's possible today where, uh, where you know, everybody leaves and things are just done while they're gone? Some products can be done with lights out manufacturing. Others cannot. It depends on what the product is. Okay. It also depends uh, on the investment dollars and the length of time that the customer actually needs. If you're talking about lights out manufacturing uh, for two dozen different products that are a very different. You're listening to the Marketing Pains Podcast. We'll be right back after this break. This episode of Marketing Pains is sponsored and underwritten by my own company, Window Treatment Marketing Pros. First of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to listen to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. And I hope that you're gaining some knowledge, tidbits, uh, good information that will help your business grow. Window Treatment Marketing Pros is the only digital marketing company that works specifically with window treatment and awning companies around the U.S., We handle entire digital marketing campaigns from website design to SEO and more. With over 23 years of experience in the digital marketing arena, we can help your business get more website traffic, leads, and phone calls. We work with businesses that are experiencing significant growth or businesses that want to experience significant growth. And we have plans to fit most of those companies. If you're ready to invest in your business, you want the phone to ring more, and you have the resources to handle that growth, please schedule a short discovery call with me at wtmarketingpros.com strategy. I'd love the opportunity to talk with you about your business, your vision for the future, and your ultimate goals for your company. Schedule that today, and I look forward to meeting you. In the meantime, back to today's episode. The investment dollars and the length of time that the customer actually needs. If you're talking about lights out manufacturing uh, for two dozen different products that are of very different weights, uh, heights, length, it probably does not make sense. Yeah. If you're looking at uh, producing products in a reasonable quantity uh, that they produce some standardization, if you will then there's much more of that possible today than there's ever been. I will give you an example. If you go back many, many years to the 60s, the shirt industry at that point in time was predominantly dressed or semi-dressed shirts. Almost all the people who produced shirts, excuse me, had many different sizes of collars and cuffs. One of the very first things that was done by the shirt manufacturers was standardization of collars and cuffs. So there wasn't as many collars or as many cuffs. Yeah. We see that same kind of thing uh, with shoes or boots or those kind of things also. Uh, And if you look at uh, sheeting, we were talking about earlier, bed sheets. You have a twin, you have a queen, you have a king, you have a California king. There's four different ones. 
we can adjust the sizes of that range. Okay. Right. But it's virtually impossible to go from an 18 inch by 18 inch square up to something that is a six foot by six foot square with the same piece of technology. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so you mentioned earlier um, about how robotics doesn't really replace humans. It just moves them to a different location. Um, you know, how, how do people start, you know, how do they start um, uh, implementing something like this, you know, the automation, the robotics into some products? So I call it the crawl, walk, run syndrome. You have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you can run. Yep. Before you can automate something, you have to go back and look. First of all, I'm going to start with roll goods and I'm going to cut it before I actually process it. If not, then you have to look at, well, I'm now manually cutting everything. So how much variation is there in manual cutting? Enough that sometimes automation doesn't work. So sometimes automated cutting has to be done in conjunction with or before you actually start to automate products. And then there are many other steps as you go through the process with actually automating a system. But it generally makes no sense at all to say that I'm going to wipe out everything in my manufacturing facility and start over and do it all at one time. Uh, that generally does not work. Right. Number one, the customer normally has to continue to produce while you're trying to get a system up. Yeah. But normally, implementation, implementation, if you will, for automation or semi-automation is done in steps and phases. Steps and phases meaning we would take one step, phase one, and that might involve uh, one or a half a dozen pieces of equipment to standardize uh, some processes. Then we might take phase two, which might take what we've done in phase one and grow on it in phase two to actually <coughs> augment or add additional steps to the process. Before we actually went to step three, when we got through producing that product, oftentimes we have fold it, pack it, roll it, uh, put it inside to a plastic bag. We have to do some of the material handling functions on the rear end. So that's the kind of thing that is generally done. Um, not as a holistic step or phase, even though there are some that we do holistic, but it's far fewer than we actually do the crawl, walk, run syndrome. Even when people automate, I tell them, don't disrupt everything that you're doing first. Start with a step, make that successful, then take that success and build on it. Yeah, I love that. Uh, my personality is, um, uh, you know, when I hear something new, I, I just go full in and I just try to do it all. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't typically work well because I had just a lot of things that are 80% of the way done. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I love that that uh, kind of idea of the concept of, of crawl, walk, run. That makes a lot more sense. Uh, even though as my personality, I would probably <laughs> have a hard time adapting to that. Um, but it, it definitely makes sense. Right. I think <laughs> that most business owners understand that nobody has unlimited funds just to simply throw at a problem. Right. And uh, take a breath and wish for success. 
you have to build success sort of like you build a house. You got to build a good foundation so that everybody fully understands it's going to support what we do going forward. And if you build that good foundation on that house, then when you stand the walls up, they're going to likely stand and be straight uh, and strong. And then before you put the uh, roof structure, the trusses, those kind of things on, those walls are already in place, but they're also supported by a firm foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh, so as you know, uh, this is a marketing podcast. We're, we're a marketing company. So I'd love to talk a little bit about Henderson uh, and uh, and some things around your company, if that'd be okay. Sure. Uh, so um, one question I like to ask to our, our uh, guests is, um, what is the biggest um, business owner or implementation mistakes that you see uh, when somebody comes to you for help? I think one of the things is to fully understand the scope of work. And what I mean by the scope of work is a clearly defined uh, avenue of what's going to be done, how it is going to be done, and why it is going to be done. Obviously, in order to make change, change is inevitable for all of us. But some people are much easier to adapt to change than others. And if we make our people in a plant, a manufacturing facility, uh, understand what this change is, and this change is only to help, assist, and augment their task each day so that people become a team. Okay? Right. Team to me means together, you and I are far more effective than we are individually. And what I mean by that is everybody can contribute, everybody can do their part, but also everybody understands completely what we're going to do and why. And I think that one of the fallacies oftentimes is uh, sometimes uh, management goes in and makes change and the people never understand Therefore, they fight against change. They fight against the technology you're trying to implement because they think it's going to take their job or take their family's income. Yeah. Um, Rather than understanding that this is a tool, a tool to be utilized and not to replace someone, but to augment or help the company be more effective and efficient and productive and control cost. Today, there's a huge problem with workforce development. We don't have enough people in our industry, uh, enough people who know and understand or have the skill sets even to do. So why is that? Because two and a half generations, we've lost people to insourcing, outsourcing, and globalization that have gone abroad uh, where it was much cheaper, where they don't have the same standard of living, where it costs far less for them to live, so therefore they can make less. Whereas if we all put our heads together and all collectively join, and we can find a solution to be able to compete and compete on a fair footing. Um, and the last uh, two and a half years of the COVID pandemic has certainly uh, pushed that narrative and made people understand uh, yeah. because people couldn't get things from outside. Container ships were sitting all over the ocean. Uh, it was a huge carbon footprint to move it from halfway around the world uh, to here. 
and even difficult today for we here in America uh, to move product across country. Why? There's less trucks. There's not enough drivers. Uh, there are many of those things, and we can address those if we all collectively work together. And yeah. our people in the plant must understand they're key, key to us being successful in manufacturing uh, products. Yeah. Yeah. What about challenges on the side of um, promoting Henderson showing, uh, sewing, promoting the robotics? What kind of things are you running into uh, on that side? Uh, I think one of the things is people don't really understand how technology can affect their world. Uh, people get caught up and said, oh, I don't want to be a robotic programmer. Well, in fact, you don't have to be. You don't have right. to be at all. Um, it's a tool and an instrument just like a hammer or a saw. And I think getting past that so people understand it's, uh, it's not something to be afraid of uh, in implementing uh, automation technology. Yeah. Um, it, uh, you can learn integration of these automated systems um, if you just simply use your head and use your intellect that you've been given and the skill sets that you've learned through the years uh, to implement these tools. And that's what they are. They're tools, tools yep. to be used to help and assist us. There are even cobots today that work alongside of uh, you and I as humans. They won't hit you. They won't hurt you. Uh, they take their direction from you. Right. <laughs> Each one of these, even hard robots that we have, uh, has to be programmed by a person. And somebody has to maintain it. So why not use that as an opportunity um, to learn and understand and broaden our horizons? Um, yeah. We weren't born with a cell phone in our hand, but we all learned how to use it, right? And yep. then after a year or so, it craps out and you have to buy a new one. And what do I hate? I hate learning uh, the new buttons to push or things to do. But guess what? We do it. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we have many, many plants today who are using the same equipment and technology they had 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. But none of us have the same phone that we had probably two years ago. And most of us don't have the same uh, automobile that we had four or five years ago. A few, but not a lot. Yeah. So we have to use that same forthrightness when we look at a manufacturing plant and a manufacturing plant that helps us make a living to feed our families and foster our way of life, shouldn't we have the best technology? Shouldn't we have the best equipment? Shouldn't we utilize the best to help us make a living? The same as we do uh, the toys, if you will, like a cell phone or a computer screen yeah. or whatever. It's a tool. <clears throat> this equipment sitting in your plant is also a tool, a tool to be used. So if you look at your plant today, you walk out and it's the same that it did 15 or 20 years ago, you're probably not doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that definitely, uh, definitely makes sense. And uh, it's going to pass you by, right? It's, and it's going to be so fast, you're not going to realize what happened. <laughs> and you have to compete with other people in the world, all over yeah. the world, uh, even the state next door, the county next door, whatever. And sure. guess what? They should have new technology also. Yeah. Uh, and if not, you're going to be pushed to one side. You won't be able to compete and they will in fact take your business. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a question about um, 
the uh, the window treatment and awning industries in in particular. Uh, do you see any current trends or changes in those industries uh, that we should be paying attention to right now? I think there's a tremendous change in those industries. If you look at uh, window coverings today, they're not the same as they were a year or two ago or whatever. And now home passions, uh, window coverings, those kind of things have become style. Uh, yeah. They don't look the same. Uh, they don't act the same. And in fact, they aren't the same. Most of them are not made out of the same uh, goods, whether it be fabric or coatings or those kind of things. And then the hardware facilities, uh, sometimes the systems, whether it be rods or whether it be automated systems, are nothing the same as they were only a few years ago. Um, and that's all the way it should be. Uh, as we progress along. But I think there's a huge push, especially after COVID. People were locked down at home. They looked around and said, wow, I've been living here all this time, and I don't really like that. <laughs> right. And I can change that. Unfortunately, uh, my wife why? had that thought. <laughs> That's right. And we were all uh, shut down, many of us, or some people were. We were not uh, at home. Uh, so we had a lot more opportunity to look at that uh, and address that. Uh, the same as clothing that they wear. Uh, people used to wear a lot different things than they do today, a lot more performance wear and those kind of things. Why? We were closed down at home. We wanted to be uh, comfortable. So you want to be comfortable in your home? Uh, then do the right things for yourself. One of your largest investments in life are your home. Uh, and those coverings, those window coverings, uh, drapes, awnings, those kind of things only add to the value of the home. And by the way, those have been going up the last few years. And isn't that a good thing for all of us? Right. <laughs> yeah. And they, all, I mean, obviously, uh, especially on the awning side, make you more comfortable in the home that you're in, right? Um, that is correct. Make yeah. you more comfortable. And many people uh, went outside during the COVID times. And when I say outside, maybe they moved to the lake, maybe they moved to the beach, maybe they moved to a farmhouse or a cabin in the woods or whatever, uh, and there we go, another opportunity yeah. um, to help people meet them where they are. Yeah, yeah. or in our case, just the back deck, right? The, the sun's yep. coming down so hard that we don't hang out there a lot, so just getting an awning made an additional part of our house, something where we can hang out, you know. And it is awesome today because the awning that you have probably didn't exist a few years ago. Right. right. Type, uh, LED lights right. and all the cool stuff, right? That's exactly right. And it is all cool. And uh, yeah. that's the innovation that I talked about earlier. Uh, the innovation uh, that is specific here to America. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Love it. Uh, so, uh, Frank, if money were no object... What is the craziest marketing stunt that you'd like to do for your company? I'm not even sure, Will, that I have uh, words to put in that. <laughs> if money were no object, and with my case, it always is, uh, my wife has no problem with money. Uh, I tell her she only has a spending problem. Right. Uh, <laughs> I did that that's for sure. If money were no objects, what's the craziest thing? So I think that, Marketing-wise, social media certainly changed all of our lives yeah. in these last few years. Uh, social media uh, in the form of, and I don't do TikTok, I do LinkedIn, uh, I do mostly business platforms, yep. uh, whether it be uh, uh, email campaigns, those kind of things. Um, 
But if money, money were no object, uh, I would probably saturate uh, by individual market shares through multiple different means, whether it be a video uh, platform, uh, doing podcasts, uh, doing social media blitzes, and those kind of things, um, pretty much to make people understand what you and I've talked about today. Yeah. And that yeah. is that automation technology can work. It can work for people. It can help. It can assist. Uh, and it's part of the American way. Uh, when I say the American way, um, I look at America as the shining lighthouse that Ronald Reagan talked about years ago. So how can we do that? We can lead. And how do we lead? By example. Uh, the creativity and innovation of many of the people on this podcast in their individual marketplaces uh, is a dynamic driver uh, of economies. Um, and I think that that's, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. To say that I have the exact recipe that you asked for, what would I do if money were no object? I'm not sure I have the answer. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure my wife could probably do that far better than me. <laughs> well, I did like your answer. Uh, using the platforms that are out there to educate people uh, on ways that they could save time, save money, right? I, I think that's ultimately uh, what your products do for, for people. Yeah, I think so. And you see uh, success stories of people that do that today, even with brands, uh, individual yeah. brands. I was reading earlier about a lady uh who simply uh, was being pushed aside because of price. So she got on a social media platform or a number of different social media platforms and actually explained to her customers why it costs more in America and uh, why uh, she had a product that was far superior than a product made halfway across the world uh, yeah. and how she would always be there to stand behind the product. Um, and that uh, radically changed her business, I think. That's great. Uh, so much that her business grew in the first three months. She said in the article I read, some 250%, oh. which is pretty significant growth. That's great. Yeah, I'd be happy with that growth. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> uh, Frankie, Frank, thank you so much for your time today. I do appreciate it. If people want to learn more about Henderson Sewing, where could they go? Yes, you can certainly go to our website, www.hendersonsewing.com. You can certainly uh, find us there. You can find uh, myself and others in our staff member on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find us in associations. You can find us at expos like IFAI, uh, like SEAMS, like uh, AAPN, uh, like NICTO, um, many, many different platforms that we use from Maine to California and across the Southeast. Um, you can reach us at our phone, 800-824-5113. You can send me an email. It's frank, F-R-A-N-K, at hendersonsewing.com. And I would look forward to answering any of you uh, questions that might come uh, at a later time, or if we can help you in any way, certainly reach out to us. I have a great staff of people. Uh, who are committed to the textile sewn products industry, I could tell you. We're awesome. here to help, to assist. Uh, the best thing we have are our people and the service we provide to the industry. Awesome. I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I did want to ask one other thing. Uh, you are speaking at the IFAI conference, which is October 12 through 14, I think. 
That is what, correct. Next what, week. Yeah. What uh, what topics are you going to be covering? Automation and technology. Okay. And if everybody comes, sign up to come, and I'll show you some examples of what that automation is. I'll show you around different products and different sectors and how we implement some of this uh, technology. And we'll talk about what does it actually mean uh, today to have automation and technology uh, to positively affect your bottom line. And uh, how do we do that? And uh, how do we do that each and every day? I look forward to seeing any of you next week. I'll be awesome. Looking forward to Charlotte. Looking forward to meeting uh, many of you uh, there. And certainly look forward to the presentation, which is on Wednesday, I think at 10 in the morning. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, I look forward to meeting you there as well. So uh, appreciate your time today and uh, your kindness to, to share a lot of things about your company. And uh, I, I thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Thanks, Will. I appreciate it. I always look forward to the opportunity. I look forward to meeting you also and everyone else at the IFAI next week in Charlotte, North Carolina. Have a great day, everyone. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Marketing Pains Podcast, where window treatment and awning business owners and industry experts share marketing information that helps you reach more customers. Please leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and get all of our show notes at wtmarketingpros.com slash podcast.